It's good to be back with you. I've had a couple weeks off, which was a good time with the family, and Joel preached a couple weeks ago, but I haven't preached for three weeks, so I'm pretty fired up now. I hope you get excited with me. If you have your phones with you, if you take notes on a calendar, I invite you to open them up, because the next few weeks, we have so much going on at our church. This coming Saturday, Kelsey's getting married, and her fiance is here today. Kelsey's unfortunately sick, but if you want to shoot her an email, a text, and just say, hey, Kelsey, praying for you, excited for you. For you. She would love that. If you want to say, hey, Justin, thanks for making her the happiest girl around, you're welcome to do that as well. On next Sunday, we have our AGM to hear about ministry updates and to hear about what God's doing and where we're going next. But next weekend, the weekend following, June 11th and 12th, great things happening for the 75th anniversary. So whether you come on Saturday and look back at 75 years, whether you come on Sunday and look forward to 75 years, it is going to be a wonderful time together. Please note that the times are changed. On Sunday, June the 12th, it'll be at 1030. We're going to have a barbecue to follow. Everything is free. You don't have to worry about that. On Tuesday, June the 14th, we are inviting pastors from across Canada to come to Ellerslie. Uh, we're part of the Baptist General Conference, and the national uh, celebration is right here at our church. So on Tuesday night, June 14th, we're going to have food trucks. We're going to have entertainment. It's going to be a wonderful night. Again, all of that is free. There will be an offering for everything that's taking place in Ukraine and the relief and evangelism efforts there. So a lot of exciting things happening. Hope that you get to be a part of that and join us with all that's taking place place. But what about today? Uh, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the spiritual gifts. We talked about um, the, how difficult it is to take all of these gifts, and some are a little bit, um, do you phrase them one way or the other way? How do we put them into categories? And so we've taken the 20 plus spiritual gifts, and we've put them into three categories. A few weeks ago, I talked about word gifts that clarify the nature, the action, the purposes of God. These would be evangelism, it's teaching, it's encouragement. A couple weeks ago, Joel talked about love gifts, things like compassion passion and mercy, giving and helps, and these manifest the love of God in practical ways. Today, the sermon that a lot of you have been interested in, how is a Baptist pastor going to talk about prophecy and tongues? So today we're looking at how the power gifts work and how they demonstrate the power, the presence, and the reality of God. For the most part, the staff has been really encouraging and excited about this and where are we going, and it's been talked about in small groups, but one lady on our staff team has said, you know what, Dave, it's been a good run, but it's been a short run. I'm taking bets. Who think Dave still has a job after the AGM in a couple weeks? So the staff, very encouraging during this time. If you're brand new to church, if you're brand new to Jesus, if you're brand new to Ellerslie, you might be thinking, what on earth is Dave going to talk about when it comes to prophecy in tongues? And so whatever your church background is, whether you went to a charismatic church or a Catholic church or an evangelical church, whether you're brand new to church, some of you are going to find that I'm talking too much about tongues and prophecy and it makes you feel uncomfortable. Some of you are going to think Dave didn't talk about that nearly enough. The idea here is to help you understand and to have um, a deeper appreciation of the power gifts that we might not normally talk about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for our church family. Thank you that we get to experience what the spiritual gifts look like and that every single person who confesses that Jesus is Lord receives a spiritual gift. And as we start getting into the gifts that might be a little bit more difficult to understand, God, I pray that my words would fall down so that your words would be lifted up that we as a church would have a deeper understanding of how the power gifts, especially prophecy and tongues, work in the church today. 
Are they still around today? And what does that look like? God, ultimately, we pray that you would be glorified and the church would be built up. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Don't ask, don't tell. This was the unwritten rule of the denomination that I grew up in. Don't ask about the gifts of prophecy in tongues. Don't talk about the gifts of prophecy in tongues. If you worked in construction, it's the equivalent of nobody moves, nobody gets hurt. But what if you have that spiritual gift? And what if you've been a part of an evangelical church like I did and you think, well, I don't know what it means and maybe I have that spiritual gift. Um, Sorry, I think uh, we have... There we go. Um, we had changed the slides and we forgot to update that. Sorry about that. Do not put the spirits, uh, out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. The Apostle Paul is saying there's something beautiful about these power gifts. There's something that we want to embrace and see and to understand. But what does it look like? When I was on my internship, I finally had the opportunity to dive a little bit deeper. Because the church that I grew up in, the college that I went to, they... Uh, abided by the don't ask, don't tell approach to these gifts. And so I got to know uh, this man in our church. He was probably late 60s, early 70s. His name was John, and he became my mentor when I was at the church. I had the pastor that I worked with, but also the mentor that I got to uh, spend some time with on a regular basis. And eventually, I saw that this man had a deep joy and love and embraced the Holy Spirit in a way that I had never seen before. And so after a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months of spending time together, I finally got up the the nerve to ask, John, I think I have the spiritual gift of prophecy. What do I do with that? And he leans back in his chair and he laughs like you would picture a grandpa laughing. And he says, oh, this is great. Why do you think you have that gift? And I said, well, ever since I was in junior high, God's given me pictures. He's given me words. He's given me dreams. And they typically come true. But I've never been, feel like I've had the opportunity to share that with others. And he goes, this is wonderful. I'm going to introduce you to a small group that meets in our town. I was uh, ministering in a town of about 10,000. And a couple people from our church, a couple people from the Pentecostal church, and a couple others from different churches in town came together on a regular basis to talk about prophecy and tongues and what does that look like in the church today. And so they said, why don't you come? We'd love to have you. So I show up, I talk a little bit about my story, and they place me in the middle of the room. And I've had people pray for me before, but this was a brand new experience because these people were very charismatic in nature, and they, would, and they prayed for me. And suddenly, for the first time in my life, I started speaking in tongues. And I thought, oh boy, here we go. I'm 22 years old, now I'm prophesying, now I'm speaking in tongues, and my lead pastor, don't ask, don't tell. It has been quite a 20-year journey. Now, the reason I share that with you is if you've been attending Ellerslie for for any time length of time, you go, well, Dave preached through Ezra in the fall. We spent five months going through the first nine chapters of Luke. This guy isn't weird or wacky. This isn't some story two or three degrees removed. This is a story of your pastor. And you might be sitting there going, okay, Dave, what kind of stories do you have? Let me tell you three. While I was on my internship, I got a dream, and it was real, and it was vivid, and I knew it was from God. And all the dream was, was uh, what looked like the Washington Monument in the middle of a dry and barren wasteland. But I didn't know what to do with it. Two days later, there was a huge fight in our church. And I recognized what God was trying to tell me is that this is good news for the pastor. That in the midst of a really difficult time, he would stand as a person of integrity when everybody else abandoned him. 
brought him great encouragement at that time. When I was um, uh, in my mid-20s, I was at home for Christmas, and I was praying and asking God if he wanted to say anything to me, and God gave me this picture of a man wearing this bright orange construction jacket standing under an overpass. And so I said to my mom, like, hey, I got this weird picture. I think it was from God while this man standing with an orange jacket. She's like, okay, Dave, whatever. Have a good trip back to Calgary. And on my way home, there was a man standing under the overpass with a bright orange construction jacket. So obviously I drove right by him. Wasn't stopping for that guy. That's not what happened. I picked him up. He came into the car. And for three hours, we journeyed together from Edmonton to Calgary. I think you'll like this next one. 2011, I'm sitting right there. Ellerslie is hosting the Global Leadership Summit. And the pastor at the time stands up, charismatic guy, um, owns this room. And I thought to myself, wow, I hope one day I'll be able to speak like that. And immediately, God said, one day you will be the lead pastor of Ellerslie. At the time, I was 30 years old, pastoring a rural church in a totally different denomination. The gift of prophecy, if you're a note taker, is a message from the Holy Spirit that can be predictive or situational in nature to strengthen, encourage, or comfort an individual or a church. We as a church, the pastoral lead team, believe that the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues still happen today. If you're not there personally and you're thinking, I don't know if I'm there. I hope you enjoy the next 30 minutes of this message and maybe through the stories that are shared, through the scriptures that are evident that you say, God, this is something that is beautiful and we want to take a part in it. Now, a few weeks ago, when we were looking at word gifts, we talked about the gift of apostle. And what we wanted to do was help you understand that there's a difference between the office of apostle and the gift of apostle. We do believe the office of apostle ended at the end of the first century. There were 14 apostles. You have the 12 that um, Jesus called, named them disciples. Um, Right after Jesus dies and goes up to heaven, um, Judas has taken his own life. He's replaced by Matthias. That brings you up to 13. And the apostle Paul is 14. The office of apostle has come to an end. The gift of apostleship is still alive. The gift of apostleship is the ability to start new ministries. It's church planting. It's, it's people who go overseas for missions. It's taking the good news of Jesus into places or to people who have never heard it before. And it's the same with prophecy. There's the Old Testament office of prophet and the New Testament gift of prophecy. In the Old Testament, God would give words directly to men and women and say, you will be my mouthpiece. In Jeremiah chapter one, verse nine, we read, the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, now I have put words in your mouth. Later in Ezekiel two, verse seven, you may, must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. And many of the Old Testament books begin with the words, the word of the Lord came to. We see this with Hosea, with Micah, with Zephaniah, with Jonah, and with others. The words that came to the prophets, the writings of the New Testament apostles, are what we have as our scripture. The office of apostleship, the office of prophet, we believe is now over. But the gift of apostleship, the gift of prophecy, still comes. Now, there is a dire warning for these Old Testament prophets. We read in Deuteronomy 18, verse 20, a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything that I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, must be put to death. 
The gift of prophecy is different. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open them up to Acts 21. Acts 21. This is a fascinating story. If you read the book of Acts, you probably just glaze over it, but something really special is happening here. I'm only going to give you about 20 seconds to get there, but a tiny bit of context. The Apostle Paul is in the middle of one of his missionary journeys. In Acts chapter 20, verse 22, we read this. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I, Paul, am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. So Paul hops on a boat. He travels from Ephesus to Caesarea. Caesarea is a port city, and it's about 80 kilometers from Jerusalem, which back in the first century would be about a four-day journey. But while he's hanging out in Caesarea, as he's spending time with other believers, a prophet shows up. This is 21 verse 10. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Now remember, this is a New Testament prophet, not an Old Testament prophet. This is what Agabus says, picking up in verse 11. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, he tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and hand him over to the Gentiles. So now we have a little bit of a problem. Paul believes that the Holy Spirit is calling him to Jerusalem. He's left Ephesus. He's left uh, people that he enjoys spending time with. He hops on a boat. He travels to Caesarea. And the whole plan is to make the four-day journey to Jerusalem. But this prophet shows up and says, Paul, if you go, they're going to bind you. And who knows what they're going to do with you? We've already lost Jesus. We don't want to lose you as well. Well, there's something for those of you who are note-takers that needs to be said. The Old Testament, if a prophecy is given, the people must respond. In the New Testament, when prophecy is given, the people must discern. This is massively important, and I'll give you an example. There's hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament. Some of them you have memorized, some of them you might not, but a really popular one would be the prophet Jonah, right? God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell the people of Nineveh, you must repent or I'm going to destroy the city. So Jonah goes to Nineveh, he tells them this, and they all surprisingly repent. With what happens here with the Apostle Paul, is there any discernment that takes place? Earlier in the message, we looked at 1 Thessalonians 5, written by Paul, and he says, do not put out the Spirit's fire, do not treat prophecy with contempt, test everything. Much of our series has been rooted in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. Here's what we read in in verse 29. Two or three prophets should speak. Others should weigh carefully what is said. The Apostle Paul wrote both the letters to the Corinthians and to the Thessalonians. But where's the discernment in Acts 21? There isn't any. The people came to this snap judgment that if this is bad news, if Paul is going to be handed over to the Gentiles, then he shouldn't go. But since when do we disobey bad prophecies? Over and over and over again in the Old Testament, God will say to the people of Israel, repent, turn back to me, or I'm going to send the Assyrians. I'm going to send the Babylonians. Life will not go well for you. A pastor I was listening to, and I had the privilege of meeting, shared the story of how um, in the middle of a dream, he was walking down uh, a street and it was cold, it was windy, I think it was winter in the dream. And he looked to his right and he saw the house of somebody from his church. And the window was opened and he saw about five families gathered together having a good time in this person's living room. And they looked out and they saw him standing in the cold and they reached out and they pulled down the blind. He wakes up. He goes, God, I, I know that's from you, but what does it mean? 
All five of those families chose to leave the church in the next few months. But God was preparing him for what was going to be a very difficult season of ministry. Back to chapter 21. Paul feels compelled to follow the Holy Spirit and go to Jerusalem. He arrives in Caesarea and Agabus shows up and says, if you go, you will be bound up. They're not in conflict with each other. He just says, this is what's going to happen. Without, uh, there, there is no discerning process. But earlier I mentioned in Acts chapter 20, Paul feels compelled to go. Look what it says next. After I'm compelled to go to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Agabus shows up and confirms this to be true. But there's a little bit more. What if you have the gift of prophecy? And what if you, like me, grew up in a church that practiced don't ask, don't tell? And like me, you think, I don't know if I can share this with anybody. I don't think people are going to stone me. I don't think they're going to kill me if I'm wrong. But are they going to look at me funny? Are they going to set me to the side? Are they ever going to talk to me again? Take another look at Agabus' prophecy in 21 verse 11. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says in this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. But that's not what happens. The Jews don't bind him. If you have your Bibles in front of you, check out verses 31 and 32. They merely beat him and tried to kill him. So Paul, it's nothing like Agabus initially said. Verse 33, the Roman commander came up and arrested me and ordered me to be bound with two chains. So Agabus's final prophecy is correct. The details are wrong. Paul is eventually handed over to the Gentiles, but not exactly how he is expected to. And I think this is good news for people with the gift of prophecy. It reminds them we don't have to be exactly right. Do you feel like you have the gift of prophecy? Do you feel like God speaks to you in dreams that are real and vivid and stand out? And when you wake up, you go, that wasn't a normal dream. That was God trying to speak to me, trying to say something to me, and I need to listen. Maybe you get words or impressions like when you're just sitting there, God is saying something to you at this given moment. How do you respond? How does a Baptist evangelical church respond to the gift of prophecy when maybe you grew up like I did in that don't ask, don't tell sort of place? If you feel like you have a gift of prophecy, and if you feel like God is saying, I want you to share this with the leadership of the church, speak with me, with Kelsey, with Joel, with Pastor Russ, we make up the pastoral lead team, and we would love to discern that with you. Now, here's the thing. When you share something about prophecy, we don't walk out like an Old Testament prophet and say, thus saith the Lord. Come in a little more gentle than that. You know, I think God is telling me something that he wants me to share with you. What if the spirit of prophet, prophecy feels like it's for yourself? This is where Christian community is so radically important. Whether you're in a triad, whether you're in a small group, whether you have a mentor or someone that you just feel like you can go grab a coffee with, share with them, this is what I believe God is sharing to me. But I don't know what it means. Can you help me discern it? Now, maybe the prophecy is for somebody else. And you'll hear this a couple times in today's message. We ask permission you know, I, this might sound a little bit strange, but I feel like God has given me a word for you. Is it okay if I share it with you? The person says no. 
then don't. If the person says yes, say this is the dream, the vision, the impression that I have. Take it for what it will be. For many of us in this room, this might be the first teaching on prophecy you've ever heard. Maybe it makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, but one of my goals today is to kind of take the weirdness out of it. It's not like people stand up and do weird things in the middle of a worship service. We worship a great and orderly God, and he wants to show us his incredible power in different ways. Whether it's the spiritual gift of prophecy or the spiritual gift of tongues, things that we might not be familiar with, God is saying, allow me to show you what the power looks like and how beautiful it is. So what about tongues? Tongues are words spoken in prayer or worship that's not understood by the speaker. Now you might hear that and you go, okay, if the speaker doesn't understand what he or she is saying, then what's the purpose? What's the point of tongues? I think an illustration might help us out well. Imagine me and you are in the same small group and we hang out on Wednesday night together and we talk about the book of Ephesians. We talk about how God is calling us to be followers of Jesus and it's a great and it's a rich time. And then we get to the prayer time and you're sitting there and you're thinking, I can't wait to talk about prayer because it has been a rough week and I want my small group to pray for me. So when it comes time to prayer, you say, man, my boss is driving me bonkers. He does not understand how difficult he's making my life. You have no idea this coworker I have, she is just crazy. This customer is driving me bonkers. And then we all pray for you. But I can't say that. If I talk about my boss, you all know who my boss is. If I talk about my coworker, you look at that person a little bit strange on Sunday morning. I can't even make a joke about this because you might think I'm being serious. But maybe you have the gift of tongues. And maybe you go home after small group and you start praying for me. And you think, God, Dave wanted something to, he wanted to share something, but it was obvious he couldn't. And then you just speak in tongues. The beautiful thing about this gift is that it's incredibly selfless. It's not for you, it's for God. And you start speaking in a language unknown to you to glorify God and to bring joy to other people around you. Now, one of the other questions that might come up is, well, what, is it a human language or is it an angelic language? The short answer is it's both. The longer answer is so much cooler than that. As soon as you open up your Bibles, you arrive in Genesis chapter one, Genesis one and two. It's how God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. Genesis three, sin enters the world. Genesis four, sin really enters the world when Cain kills his brother. Genesis five is the genealogy from Adam to Noah. Six to nine is the flood narrative and this incredible story of what God does with Noah, the animals, and everybody else in the world. Genesis 10 is the table of nations. Do you know what Genesis 11 is? It's the Tower of Babel. And at the Tower of Babel, all the people of the world come together and they're all speaking the same language and they say, let us build a tower so that people might see how great we are. God says, oh, I don't like this. And so he confuses all of their language. Now you might think, what does that have to do with tongues? This is cool. Acts chapter two, everybody is praying together. Jesus has died and gone back up to heaven and it's the Sunday of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit comes on 120 or so believers and they all start speaking in different languages. 
Pentecost is one of the big Jewish festivals. The people come streaming out of the temple and suddenly they hear speaking in their native tongues and they are overwhelmed at how beautiful it is because God says, it's not about how great you are. It's about how great I am. This part is so cool. In Genesis 2, 10, and 19, people are filled with the Holy Spirit and immediately speak in human tongues. Why? For the expansion of the gospel. Every single time, people hear it and then go out and are told the good news of Jesus by people who are speaking in tongues. Twice in my life, I've had missionaries say to me, Dave, I was overseas and I was uh, ministering in Mexico. I was ministering in South America. And I stood up with an interpreter right beside me, not knowing the language. And as I started to speak, I started speaking in the national dialect. Thinking back on how the different gifts stand out, the power gifts demonstrate the power, the presence, and reality of God. Imagine being in that room when somebody who looks different than you, has different skin color than you, who dresses different than you, and obviously does not know your language, stands up and starts speaking about God in your own dialect. Shows the power of God in an incredible way. Because we don't want to put limits on the Holy Spirit. And maybe it's a little bit weird for you. And maybe you grew up like I did in that don't ask, don't tell environment. And this is all brand new. But it's incredibly powerful. It's incredibly beautiful. Tongues can also be in an unknown language. We've spent a lot of time in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. And we stay there today. And chapter uh, 14 verse 2. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. Now, if you have the gift of tongues and you're praying in your own um, time alone with God and you're praying in your car, you're praying, well, after you read the Bible and you just say, God, here's what I'm praying for. I, I don't know what it means. I don't know what it looks like. That's totally okay. But it's a little bit different when we come together like this in a Sunday morning worship service. And maybe we pray in tongues while the music is going on and nobody can hear us and we just say, God, here's I am pouring my heart out to you. But maybe during the announcements or during the message, you just feel this overwhelming urge to speak in a tongue and you stand up and you just blurt it out. Now, in this context, we've probably never seen it before. I've gone to church my entire life. I have never seen it in an evangelical church. And this is what would happen. We would stop. We would listen. We would thank the individual. And then I would say, does anybody here have the gift of interpretation of tongues? And we would wait for a minute or so. And maybe somebody stands up and says, this is what that individual said. And we would celebrate that, that God had a word for us. But maybe nobody has the interpretation of tongues. And so I would look at you and I'd say, thank you for sharing. Unfortunately, we don't have an interpretation. I'm going to ask that you just enjoy seating and the rest of the message. It doesn't have to be awkward. It doesn't have to be weird. But it shows the beauty and the power of God working through us in wonderful ways. Later on in chapter 14, Paul says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. We don't want to put limits on the Holy Spirit. One final thought that I think is radically important. Tongues is not proof of salvation. 
Tongues is not proof of salvation. There are some people in the Christian circles who think that if you're a Christian, you should automatically speak in tongues. I asked David's blessing to share this. David Holzman um, preached the first message in the series. He was the one giving the announcements. When he was at Bible college, he was told that unless he speaks in tongues, he can't be a pastor. It's hurtful. Jenna and I have a friend who attends a Pentecostal church, and when she was in youth, she didn't speak in tongues, and she was considered a second-class Christian in her youth group. This can hurt people, but tongues is not proof that you're a Christian. What's proof? Romans 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Ephesians 2, verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this not, a gift, um, this not from yourselves, is the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. We are saved through faith in Jesus. If God in his sovereignty, if God in his incredible wisdom decides to give us the gift of tongues, wonderful. And if he doesn't, he's given us another gift, and that's great too. All week long, I've been wrestling with, do I spend two weeks on power gifts and kind of bump the next sermon? Or do do I just speak about prophecy and tongues for a large section and then go on to another part? And unfortunately, we won't be able to cover all of the power gifts, but I hope this gives you an understanding of some of the gifts that maybe you don't understand or have to have broadened your understanding a little bit more. But we are going to tackle a couple extras. The first one is words of wisdom and knowledge. In 1 Corinthians, uh, we read this. To one is given the spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. I really appreciate Clinton Arnold's definition. He says, um, the gift of wisdom and knowledge is situational communication given by the Holy Spirit for that moment. Now, if you enjoy going online and um, watching YouTube videos or seeing your um, news feed, however you get that, perhaps you hop on Facebook, you've probably seen the name over the last couple of years, Jordan Peterson. He's kind of the acclaimed Canadian psychologist, and Canadians are proud that he's ours, and he is incredibly brilliant. He reads excessively. He has depth of understanding and wisdom that many people don't have, and it seems like whenever an interviewer asks him a question, he has this incredible response. There's also questions surrounding, is Jordan Peterson a Christian or not? We don't know. He seems to be fascinated by Jesus of Nazareth, fascinated by the scriptures and what they talk about humanity. But I think what happens is sometimes we get confused. We see a man like Jordan Peterson, who may or may not be a Christian, I hope he is, and he has incredible wisdom and knowledge and understanding. But it's not the spiritual gift of knowledge and wisdom. Don't confuse the two. The gift of wisdom and knowledge is given by the Holy Spirit at that moment. It's something we may not have known in, um, in advance. John Thompson, one of the people we've been leaning on for this series, says this, the word of knowledge functions when God gives you information about someone you have no direct access to in any other way. The right exercise of this gift and the information God gives will always humble, will always help. It never humiliates. It can bring healing to others, but it never hurts them. Ever been talking with somebody who's a wise Christian friend or mentor, and when they speak back to you, it just feels as though those are Jesus' words himself to your heart. This person probably has the gift of wisdom or the gift of knowledge. Does this sound like you? 
And see, the gift of wisdom and knowledge can support other um, power gifts as well. We're not gonna dive into depths about um, the spiritual gift of healing, but I think oftentimes people with the gift of healing also have the gift of wisdom or knowledge. Yes, we pray for everybody. Yes, we pray that healing would take place, but sometimes God says, if you pray for that person, I will heal her. Then we pray and we expect God to do great things. Does this sound like you? When you're engaged with people both inside and outside the church, do you have God give you wisdom or knowledge for that exact moment? A piece of knowledge that you had no access to in any other way. You didn't get it from their Facebook feed. They didn't say it or hear it from a coworker, but suddenly God gives you a piece of knowledge about that individual. That somebody is sharing with you the challenge that they're facing and God gives you this wisdom that you know is from him and you feel like I have to share with this person because I think it's the answer they're looking for. And much like the gift of prophecy, the gift of knowledge and wisdom comes and starts with permission. Hey, I, I, I feel like God might have a word for you. Is it okay if I share it with you? And again, if they say no, then don't. But you can say, when, I received, when you were talking with me, I feel like I had this really great impression, and this is what it is. 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 are these beautiful, long excerpts about spiritual gifts. Packed right in the middle of that is 1 Corinthians 13, where Apostle Paul says, love does all of this and binds it all together. There's a reason Paul does that. That's not a mistake. That's not an accident. He wants us to understand that it's love that makes all these gifts come together. We do this for the glory of God to build up the church and we do it rooted in love. We've looked at prophecy, tongues, words of knowledge and wisdom. We'll shift gears a bit to discernment. And we read this in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 10. To another, we give the gift of working of miracles. To another, God gives the gift of prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Much like love gifts and word gifts, there's, there's gifts where um, we have to have discipline in them, um, but also have spiritual uh, sides to them as well. For, for example, we might have love gifts like mercy or hospitality or, or giving, where all of us are called to be merciful. All of us are called to be hospitable. All of us are called to be giving individuals. But when you have the spiritual gift, you just have that in abundance and such great joy. The spiritual gift of discernment is the same thing. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, uh, the author of Hebrews says, all people are called to distinguish between that which is good and that which is evil. The dis gift of discernment is a God-given sensitivity to truth, error, or evil. It's like God is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain to see what's really going on. There's this incredible story in the book of Acts, right in chapter five. And a man named Ananias sells a portion of his property and brings it to his disciples. But if you know the book, uh, if you're unfamiliar with the story, what's heavily implied is that he's telling the disciples, this is everything I got for the property while holding some money back for himself. The apostle Peter sees Ananias in verse three and says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? After it was sold, wasn't it your money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. So if you sold a piece of property and you made $100,000 and you said to the apostle Peter, hey, um, uh, I, I made $100,000, keeping 20 for myself because I really need a new car, but here's 80. There wouldn't have been any problem. 
The problem is Ananias shows up and he wants everybody to think about how great he is. Look at me. I've sold property and I'm giving it all to the church. Words of wisdom and knowledge are given in that moment for that person for personal growth. Discernment is different. Discernment is all about the source. It's all about the source. Remember the definition we're working with. God-given sensitivity to truth, to error, or to evil. Take another look at verse three. Ananias, how is it that Satan, evil, has so filled your heart? This is the discernment of a grievous evil. Ananias is siding with Satan. That you have lied to the Holy Spirit. The discernment to know truth and truth is not taking place. And have kept for yourself the discernment of personal pride and selfishness. Some of the money for the land. If you don't know the rest of the story, God takes it pretty darn seriously. Knocks Ananias dead. Now, I hope that you've been enjoying this sermon series. I hope, I hope you're learning in this sermon series. One of my greatest learnings is that spiritual gifts can look a little bit different. We've talked a little bit about the gift of apostleship, and it might be starting new ministries. It might be church planting. It might be missions. We've talked about the gift of administration. It might be being a tremendous office manager, but it might also mean being an executive director and overseeing all the systems of a large organization. Discernment is no different. Discernment operates on three different levels. And if you have this gift, you know without a shadow of a doubt, something is taking place. Is this from God? Is this from humanity, where there's pride or selfishness or just a desire to look good in front of others? Or is it from the devil? And it's just plain wrong, and you gotta hightail and run. If you have the spiritual gift of discernment, I would encourage you to ask God, maybe speak with a mature Christian, why, God, are you telling me these things? What do you want me to do with this? If this is from God, how do I use this? Is it simply to enjoy it and to be blessed? If you have the spiritual gift of understanding error, what does that mean? What does that look like? Hey, is this a church maybe I shouldn't go back to? Hey, is that a speaker on a conference that just really rubs me the wrong way? Maybe you need to talk to church leadership. Is it this understanding of what is evil? And you just go, that just feels wrong. God doesn't give you this just to keep it to yourself, but to understand what to do with it to build up the church. Now, unfortunately, we don't have time to look at all the power gifts. We've handled um, probably the ones that are the most difficult to understand. So one story, and then I'll wrap up. The worship team, you're welcome to join me on the platform. One of the uh, spiritual gifts we didn't discuss is the spiritual gift of intercessory prayer. And it struck me, I've talked a little bit about my six-year-old son before, that my son has a spiritual gift of intercessory prayer. And I have got a great story. About 10 days ago, the Calgary Flames had the audacity to beat us 9-6. And if you watch the game, and if you're an Oilers fan, it was pretty fascinating because we were down 6-1, we tied at 6-6, and then we lost 9-6, and that was just sad. But my kids don't stay up that late. And so the next day at supper, my six-year-old says, hey, dad, what happened in the hockey game yesterday? And I said, oh, son, we lost. He goes, oh, well, we should pray about that. And I said, yeah, we should, Hawksley. And so right then and there, he bows his head and he says, dear Jesus, thank you for Lord and Jesus. He's six. I think it's cute. I pray that the Calgary Flames would suck <laughs> and that the Edmonton Oilers would be awesome and they would win four in a row. 
So obviously, my son has the spiritual gift of, of, of prayer. And I don't know what God does upstairs if he's just like, whoa, 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 everybody, Hoxley's talking, give me a minute here. Now, unfortunately, Hoxley's not here right now. He's six, he's upstairs in the kids' chapel. But we have people here that do have the gift of prayer. We have people here who would love to pray for you. And if you're here this morning and you're thinking, man, these power gifts are real. And I've been hurt by them in the past. Somebody had said something to me about tongues, about prophecy, have acted as though they are apostle from God. And you are hurting and you are broken and you've come to this church and hope for healing. We want to pray for you. Please come forward for prayer. If you're here this morning and you grew up like I did in a church that practiced don't ask, don't tell, and you're thinking, I might have a spiritual gift of prophecy or tongues or discernment or wisdom and knowledge or intercessory prayer, and I don't know what to do with it, come forward. We would love to pray for you. If you're here and you're thinking, I just need somebody to pray for me because it's been a rough week, come forward because we would love to pray for you. Now, it's interesting, there's major streams in Christianity. You have the mainline church, you have the charismatic church, you have the evangelical church. We're part of the evangelical stream. And part of the evangelical stream is we think about Jesus as the word of God. And we put work and energy and effort into the uh, pulpit ministry. And that's good and it's exciting. And Jesus came to preach. But do you know what else Jesus came to do? I have come in word and, do you know the answer? power. So Jesus came to preach and he came to prophesy. And Jesus came to preach and he came to heal people. And Jesus came to preach and he came to rise people from the dead. And Jesus came to preach and he came to cast out demons. Jesus came in word and he came in power. And we don't want to put limits on the Holy Spirit. And if you're here this morning and thinking, I want someone to pray for me, we would love to. For those of you I asked to come and uh, pray for others, if you could come forward now, the worship team's gonna lead us in song just after I pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for power gifts. Thank you for prophecy, for tongues. Thank you for discernment. Thank you for gifts of wisdom and knowledge. Thank you for intercessory prayer and thank you for the power gifts that I might be missing. God, help us not to be afraid of them not to be worried about them, not to be scared that they might be different than what we're used to, but to recognize that we have a great and awesome God and to put no limits on how wonderful and incredible your power is. And if somebody here needs to be prayed for, that they would feel comfortable coming for prayer, whatever they might want prayer for. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.